Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy Podcast for yet another example of astronomy misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies, or in this case, investigations. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 34 for the second quarter of May 2012. What brings us together today is that I'm going to talk about the Orion Correlation quote-unquote theory. Now, the Orion Correlation Theory, which is actually a misnomer since the word should be hypothesis, was created in the 1980s by Egyptian-born Robert Bouval, and it has been fleshed out over the years by several others, such as the self-proclaimed maverick archaeologist Graham Hancock. The very, very basic idea of this is that the three main pyramids at Giza exactly mirror the three belt stars the constellation Orion, and then that this means stuff. The way that Bouval tells it, and I listened to him tell it five times as I did research for this episode, which included listening to over six hours of Coast to Coast AM interviews. Anyway, the way that he tells it, he came up with this idea while staring up at the sky late at night in the middle of the desert in the 1980s. In 1982, a few years earlier, he'd been at the Cairo Museum and had seen a rare aerial photo of the pyramids, and he noticed that there were two large ones that were in a line, and then he saw a small one that was offset from that line. He says he noticed this in particular because he's a former architectural engineer, and at the time he was an engineer, and it bothered him that the three were not in a straight line. And so he was out in the desert one night with several friends and family, and it was winterish, so the constellation Orion was up. A friend of his, who was a navigator, started to tell the group that Orion is a very recognizable constellation and that people used to use the three belt stars to find the brightest star in the sky, Sirius, which they used for navigation. It was when Bouval looked at these three belt stars that, as he tells it, everything clicked. He saw two bright stars and then a third, offset from the other two, that was a little fainter. And thus, the Orion Correlation Hypothesis was born. It was first published in 1989 in the journal Discussions in Egyptology, and then he came out with his first book on the subject in 1994 with Adrian Gilbert, the book being called The Orion Mystery. Later, in working with Graham Hancock, they developed the idea that some of the constellations only work if the pyramids were built in 10,000 BC, that is, they only work with Graham Hancock's ideas of correlations with stuff, instead of the archaeologically accepted date of around 2550 BC. Now, there are add-ons to this idea that the Sphinx represents the constellation Leo, and so the sun being in the sky with Leo only happens at 10,000 BC uh, in terms of the vernal equinox and other stuff, which means that the Sphinx was supposedly built in 1050 BC or 10,500 BC, which just so happens to correspond with a mega-intelligent civilization that Graham Hancock believes existed at the time, and also the American sleeping prophet Edgar Cayce's ideas of Atlantis. Or... There's also the idea that the pyramids form an angle with the Nile River that represents the Milky Way and all these other add-on ideas. I'm not going to get into that stuff. The purpose of this episode is just to focus on the question of whether the three main pyramids in Giza correspond to Orion's belt. 
I should note that my analysis is based on my own work, but many, many other people, including astronomers and archaeologists, have done their own critique of this idea, and so I'm not the only one out there who reached the conclusion that you'll hear in around five to ten minutes. The constellation that most of us know today as Orion is one of the most prominent constellations in the sky. While most constellations were different throughout the ancient world, the general shape of Orion was used in many cultures, including ancient Egypt, where it was identified as a pharaoh. It is easily found in the winter in the northern hemisphere, though it is below the horizon if you're too far into the southern hemisphere. At a very basic level, it looks like an hourglass with four corner stars, including two very bright stars. Betelgeuse in the upper left corner, or sometimes pronounced Betelgeuse. I'm just going to go with Betelgeuse because I was a fan of the movie. And Rigel is in the lower right corner. The waist of the hourglass has the three belt stars. From left to right, at least when you're in the northern hemisphere looking towards the south, they're called Alnitak, Alnilam, and Mintaka. And again, apologize for pronunciation, these are Arabic names, which is actually an interesting side discussion, because most of Europe was mired in the Dark Ages throughout the Middle Era, a lot of science was actually carried on in the Arab world, and so a lot of names of stars, especially bright stars, are Arabic names. Anyway, that was a side note. In astronomy shorthand, these three stars are known as Zeta, Epsilon, and Delta Ori. O-R-I is the abbreviation for the Orion constellation. Usually, these are in order of brightest to faintest, where the brightest star in a constellation is Alpha, the second brightest is Beta, and so on to Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, and others in that order. Orion, they're a little mixed up. So, the center star, Alnilam, is the brightest of the three. And then the left one, Alnitak, is the second brightest. And then Mintaka is the third brightest. The reason I'm going through this in bloody detail is that the quote-unquote creation story of Bouval's idea is that you have two large pyramids that form a line, and then a third, smaller one, that's offset. So that third, fainter star in the belt needs to be offset, which is what we see and the brightest star in the belt is the center one, just like the largest of the three pyramids is the center one. So that does check out for Bouval. But that's about it. Now first off, we have a problem when someone claims that two points form a line with a third point being offset. By definition, two points form a line between them. Saying that a third point is offset just means that you happen to choose to draw your line through the other two instead of through the third point in one of the others. So I do have a bit of a problem with this basic premise. Though this is somewhat mitigated by the diagonals of the two largest pyramids at the Giza necropolis, you can draw a straight line that connects two corner points of the two largest pyramids. So if you're looking at a map with north up, Start in the upper right corner of the upper right pyramid, draw a line to the opposite corner, and then you can continue that line through to the opposite corner of the Great Pyramid. From that line, the third pyramid is offset. But you have to have those corners in order to make the line. As for stars, you don't have corners, the stars, 
but he still claims. When you look at the pattern of Orion's belt in the sky, you will see exactly the same layout. Two very bright stars, or large stars, if you like, that are along a line with the third smaller um, star or less bright star offset to the left. It's exactly the image that you have on the ground with the pyramids. That last point is interesting. Quote, it's exactly the image that you have on the ground with the pyramids. He then went on to agree with the statement that the alignment is perfect. In this day and age, it's really not that hard to test this, which is what I did. I was perfectly willing to come on to this episode and say, Puval's correlation checks out. But that isn't what I found. It took me about two minutes with Planetarium Software, Google Earth, and Photoshop. I'll have my collage posted in the show notes for this episode. What I did was I went into Starry Night Pro, although you can use any astronomy software or any of the photographs online of Orion's belt. I then took a screenshot of the belt region. I then went to Google and found the Giza pyramids, and I took a screenshot of that. I then brought both into Photoshop. In order to align the two largest pyramids with the two brightest belt stars, I had to rotate the pyramids by about 151 degrees counterclockwise. This is interesting, because it's also something that is never mentioned by Bival, and in fact his work has gotten a fair amount of criticism because it leaves this point out, that the pattern is actually the exact opposite of what you see in the belt stars, rather than it being identical. So I lined up the two large pyramids with Alnitak and Alnilam, and I found that Mintaka did not fit. Mintaka was both too far as in the smaller pyramid would need to be moved by a few hundred meters, and it was at the wrong angle. Yeah, it was sort of kind of close, but it was far from exact. I then thought that this might be an issue with the perspective, since the imagery in Google, that at least Google currently has up on its maps, is from an airplane or something closer to the ground rather than from a satellite. You can tell this because it's at a perspective, because the lines of the edges do not form a nice cross in the middle of the pyramid. So I looked around and found a real satellite image from nearly directly overhead. I did the same thing, and Mintaka was again off. Now you might be thinking, well, doesn't close count? My answer would normally be yes, but in this case it's no for three reasons, or possibly two reasons depending on how exactly you want to count. First, Bouval stated that the alignment was exact. It's not. If he were a legitimate researcher, he would have said that the alignment is very close, but there is some small offset. Saying that it is exact is demonstrably and easily wrong. Second, on Bouval's website, that I'll link to in the show notes, he rants against someone on a BBC program who called him out on this fact. He says that the third belt star is within five degrees of being exact, as opposed to being exact. And this is a quote from his website. Even were it feasible to get an accuracy of less than plus or minus five degrees, this is really academic. For visually, such a variation is almost impossible to discern for the small apparent length as Orion's belt as it appears to the naked eye. This bleeds into the third reason that I reject the argument that, quote, close counts. 
the ancient Egyptians were much better surveyors than to be off by five degrees. They were able to align the pyramids to within three minutes of true north-south, which is three-sixtieths of a degree. For them to be that accurate with the walls of the pyramids, but then to be literally 100 times less accurate for the very basic placement of one of the three pyramids is something that I, personally, find much more difficult to believe. And I do recommend that you do this exercise on your own. Now, another argument against this, though I think it's a little bit weaker, is that the three belt stars are not the brightest stars in Orion. As I mentioned, they are the Delta, Epsilon, and Zeta stars, meaning that the Alpha, Beta, and Gamma stars aren't in the belt, although, again, these are slightly out of order for historical reasons. The brightest star in Orion is Rigel, the right foot. The second brightest star is Betelgeuse, the left shoulder. The third brightest star is Bellatrix, who was killed by Molly Weasley but forms the right shoulder. And Saif, S-A-I-P-H, is the left foot. It's brighter than the faintest belt star, Mintaka. So, the argument here is that if you want the pyramids to be Orion, and recognizable as Orion, then you should be building pyramids that represent these outer stars too, since they're much more prominent, Rigel being almost ten times brighter than Mintaka. Three belt stars do not the constellation of Orion make. Finally, you get to the basic question of, can you choose three point-like objects and find a correlation somewhere in the sky with some prominent stars? The answer is, of course, a resounding yes. For example, when I was searching for images of this on Google, one popped up showing a pretty good alignment with three former World Trade Center buildings. And that's really about it for this topic. Yeah, they sort of kind of align, and yeah, you could sort of make the argument that maybe possibly the ancient Egyptians were sort of trying to mimic Orion's belt, but it doesn't really work out given the accuracy that they were able to do things with at the time versus the accuracy of the layout of the pyramids. And that's really about it for this topic. The Q&A and Puzzler will return in the next episode. And by way of feedback today, there are actually two pieces that I want to talk about, and both are continuing from episode 29 on the whole exploded planet idea and the origin of the asteroid belt. The first comes from Dave R. through email. He asked, One of the questions of episode number 29 is whether the asteroids were once a planet. One of your main arguments is that there was not enough mass in the collection of asteroids to make a body we would recognize as a planet. That's reasonable. Some of the meteorites that have been found on Earth seem to be portions of a differentiated body in that they are iron or stony. Presumably, there is some minimum size of a body to differentiate, and that body has since been broken apart and we get pieces that land on the Earth. So perhaps a more interesting question is what is the minimum size of the parent body? What caused it to fall apart? Where was it located in the solar system? And is there any way to date any of this? Obviously, the solar system was a wild and chaotic place, but at least the minimum size should be able to be computed. 
I believe that series has been modeled as being differentiated. How small can you get? A broad answer to Dave's question is that a simple modeling problem really isn't possible for Dave's question because you can't just count on energy from gravitational collapse and formation for this kind of stuff early on in the solar system's history. Very early in the solar system, you had a lot more radioactive elements floating around, and these were combined and incorporated into early asteroids. These short-lived radioactive elements generated a lot of heat. And they were able to more easily melt the asteroids that they were in, and so you could differentiate smaller and smaller bodies. It's when these later broke up through collisions that we get raw hunks of iron and nickel that can crash into Earth as the iron-nickel meteorites. The next question comes from someone who goes by both Juice and Bruce on the blog. He asks, "What is the cause or origin of the asteroid belt if not an explosion or implosion of a planetary body or some collision between two or more bodies?" The answer here is that planetary formation goes the opposite from what he seems to think. We don't start with a large planet that breaks up. We start with dust and gas that combine to form larger chunks that combine to form larger chunks. When you get to a few kilometers in size, you have what we call planetesimals that continue to combine into larger and larger bodies that may eventually be classified as planets. The asteroids are leftovers from this formation process. They're also a collisionally evolved population, meaning that they have hit each other over the eons, and so many have broken up. But there almost certainly was never a full-fledged planet that contained all of the material that we see in the belt today. By way of announcements, don't forget that you can find me online at podcast.sjrdesign.net, on Facebook under Exposing Pseudo Astronomy, me personally on Twitter as Doctor Dr. Astro Stew, or the podcast on Twitter as Pseudo Astro. That wraps up this rather short topic for the 34th edition of the Exposing Pseudo Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. Send an email to podcast@sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email and appreciate the feedback, even if I don't happen to respond. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them, except for Velikovsky or that other guy that I can't remember the name of right now. Anyway, if you like this podcast, or I guess if you don't, please write a review and rate it on iTunes. Also, tell your friends and family.